Now, I'm not a Cobra Commander, but I play one on TV. I'm Tom Panneries, and this is Origin Story. Who are you? Why are you like this? Like what? Like how you are! I don't know who you are or where you came from. Now on, you do as I can. Okay? Hello and welcome back to Origin Story, a podcast miniseries brought to you by Pop Culture Affidavit, which is part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm Tom Panneries, and what I'm doing over the course of these 33 episodes is taking a look at the books that I bought from the summer of 1986 until the fall of 1987, which is the first time I collected comics. I once again have two books for you, all of you this time around, both of which came out on July 7th, 1987, but both of which are completely different from one another. The first is G.I. Joe number 64, which will continue our Joes in Captivity storyline, and the other is Marvel Age number 55, where we're going to learn about what's going on in Iron Man. I'll start with G.I. Joe number 64, which had a price of $1.00 and is titled Maneuvering for Position. The cover, which is by Mike Zeck, shows Fred and Cobra Commander's armor standing between the shocked faces of Serpentor and the Baroness. It's a serviceable cover that shows what's going on in the issue, although I can remember this cover really well because I remember that my friends and I went to the comic store the day this came out with the express purpose of buying it. But we were a little early or something like that, and it hadn't opened yet. And I remember pressing my face against the door to see inside, and I saw the cover front and center on the shelves. But what about the inside? Well, credits are Larry Hama Writer, Ron Wagner Pencils, Russ Heath Inks, Nell Yamtov Colors, Joe Rosen Letters, Bob Harris was your editor, and Jim Shooter was your editor-in-chief. Picking up where we left off last issue, Fred pilots his boat to Cobra Island and is shot at by a Cobra Mamba helicopter. He gets into the pogo and flies away, leaving Captain Min, whose boat he had charted, to die on the boat when the Mambas blow it up. He fights with the Mambas, taking one out, and is about to be taken down by Cobra anti-aircraft when one of the troops on the ground spots the Cobra insignia on the pogo's side. Serpentor tells him to hold fire that he'll take care of this. The pogo lands, Fred gets out and tells everyone that he is Cobra Commander. In Utah, Chuckles and a number of other new Joes, many of whom we met all the way back in issue 60, arrive at their new barracks. There is some rumbling beneath them, but everyone is hush-hush about what's going on, especially because they're not sure that these new Joes have proper clearances yet. Chuckles vows to find out what's going on. On Cobra Island, Serpentor and Fred talk while the troops get restless and they start chanting for a fight. Then the Baroness shows up and takes Fred into her helicopter to look at him without his helmet on, since she knows what Cobra Commander looks like under his hood. Back in Utah, Chuckles wakes up Psych Out and they try to figure out what's going on. They don't find anyone, but they do find tread tracks that seem to just disappear and go to nowhere. 
In France, Snake Eyes, Scarlet, and the Blind Master arrive and get into a cab. They're followed by some criminals who attempt to hijack that cab. The Blind Master hops onto the criminal's car, busts into the windshield with a ball-peen hammer, then blows up another one of the cars with a grenade. Snake Eyes and Scarlet make it to a train where they have one-way tickets to Barovia, and it's implied that the Blind Master will be joining them soon enough. On Cobra Island, Baroness sees that Fred is not Cobra Commander, but since she just lost her position at the New York Consulate as a result of what happened in G.I. Joe's Special Missions Number 7, she decides to conspire with Fred, probably with the hopes of getting back at Serpentor. And finally in Utah, Chuckles and Psych Out finally stumble upon a huge contingent of the G.I. Joe team all dirtied up and celebrating the completion of... something... Like I said, I remember being a kid and being really excited this issue was coming out because G.I. Joe was the center of my universe in the summer of 1987. 30 years later, this particular issue is not as good as the three that have come before it. But I think that's mainly because it's a bridge issue before two issues that are going to have much more action. In a sense, it feels that Hama's keeping track of all the various plots that are going on in the book. In this case, there are three. We have a little more of the Joes in the captivity plot, but instead of showing more of Stalker, Quick Kick, and Snowjob in the Gulag in Barovia, we follow up with Snake Eyes and Scarlet, who are undertaking a rescue mission and who have faked their deaths so that nobody can suspect that they are actually working for G.I. Joe. In other words, them getting blown up by a landmine in Grenada was their cover story. I suppose that they're confronting criminals is a good way to get some action into a rather action-less issue, but at least Wagner and Heath make the scene exciting. The second plot is that the Joes are building something or working on something that they have just finished. We'll find that out next issue, although if you're familiar with the character of Payload, you might know what the secret is. And the third plot is Cobra Commander and this Cobra Commander Fred thing, which gets a little more complicated with the Baroness's scheming. This is where we spend most of the issue, and I'm glad that Hama took the time to play this scene out and incorporated what happened in the Special Missions book into it. There's obviously something coming down the road that perhaps involves internal strife or tension for or within Cobra. Being that I didn't read Beyond Issue 66, I can't comment too much on it except to say that Serpentor has been pushing out the old guard of Cobra since he came along, and the Baroness obviously sees the writing on the wall, so she's going to use Fred as leverage here. It just might work too. So while this isn't a terribly exciting issue, it gets the job done. The art is also solid. I like Russ Heath. I've seen his art in the NOM, and his inks are a good match for Ron Wagner. It made the issue go by quickly. Thankfully, there's more action to come in the next issue. But right now, I'm going to take a break, and I'll be back with Marvel Age number 55. Stick around. Two hundred and twenty-nine different characters spanning the galaxies of the Legion of Superheroes, presented across seven comic book issues. A new miniseries as part of the Who's Who podcast. To handle this many characters, the irredeemable Shag is bringing in a ringer, or maybe we should call them flight ringers. Who's who in the Legion of Who's who in the Legion of Who's who in the Legion of Superheroes? The Legion of Superheroes. The Legion of Superheroes. 
the Legion of Superbloggers team up to present Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes, a three-episode miniseries in 2017, part of the Who's Who podcast on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Long live the Legion. And we are back. The cover story for Marvel Age number 55, which retails for only 50 cents, is about what's in store for Iron Man, and the cover is by Mark Bright and Bob Layton, showing Iron Man in silver armor ready to fight. I'm going to run down some highlights of the issue. So we have our coming attractions, which include a power pack illustration of them taking on a, its greatest foe, Trash, penciled by uh, John Bogdanove, a panel from Spider-Man, uh, Web of Spider-Man, issue number four, I believe, uh, which kind of, if you haven't read this up to this point, not that you didn't think Spider-Man was going to be dead forever, but uh, it's it shows him grabbing two of Craven's goons and screaming, where? Uh, which ties into that the storyline and, and kind of reveals that, hey, Spider-Man is going to come back, but you kind of knew this wasn't going to be. It was a six-part saga. It wasn't the end of everything. There's an Alpha Flight uh, panel here fighting for their life against the Canadian government. I am not, honestly, not familiar with Alpha Flight beyond the couple of issues I've read, and I've heard that John Byrne runs really good. This is Alpha Flight number 52. It says, as the Canadian government becomes increasingly suspicious of Alpha Flight, a spy is sent in to infiltrate the group. Will Alpha Flight detect the intruder in time? Specters of the Past is written by Bill Mantlow and penciled by June Brigman. I gotta tell you, and this is something, and somebody, I was on Twitter this morning, and uh, they pointed out that they can't tell what Marvel Legacy is about. They know it has something to do with a bunch of incarnations of different characters and stuff, but just by reading whatever press they have and previews, it's it's not easy to tell. And I don't, I can't comment on the accuracy of that opinion. I'm gonna go with it, but I will say that I, you know, I get previews every month, just about like every other, uh, like a bunch of other people who read comics do, and I flip through it and. Even DC is a little more detailed. It's, it's kind of like this. Um, and, uh, and as are a bunch of other uh, companies. And I believe it was Shag has said that you can keep up to date what's going on in other comics by reading previews in the same way that you could kind of watch TV by reading TV Guide, in a sense. And um, especially if TV Guide would have those little synopses or the close-ups and stuff. And, oh, man, just I was I was a classic TV Guide reader back in the day. Uh, that probably could get its own podcast episode. Anyway, um, Marvel Previews is not as descriptive as it could be. And it drives me nuts sometimes because if there's – I'm not – I'm more familiar with the Marvel Cinematic Universe than I am with the current-day Marvel Universe, and if I'm familiar with any comic part of the Marvel Universe, it's maybe from 20, 30 years ago where I've looked at stuff here and there, like I, I maybe some of the Claremont X-Men stuff and, and some Spider-Man stuff here, and you know, what I've read here and there. But I always have this problem getting into current-day Marvel, 
And they're not exactly selling me on a lot of their titles lately because I can't tell what's going on. And I realize they don't want to spoil too much, especially since the internet is around and they'll pick up on, on whatever and they'll talk about the end of a story that hasn't come out for four months if they spoil it. But at the same time, I like these synopses. They're really, really, uh, they're, they're concise and they give you just enough about what's going on. I mean, as I flip the page, there's a really excellent Art Adams of uh, shot of Wolverine clawing at Sabretooth. But then l- listen to this. Muppet Babies number 16. Ever wonder what the face of nanny of Muppet Baby's nanny looks like? Well, in this off-the-wall spy mystery, the Muppet Babies have to describe nanny, and the result of fully surpri- is full of surprises. We spy... It was written by Laura Hitchcock and penciled and inked by Marie Severin at a star comic, $1. Okay, I'm not going to go out and buy Muppet Babies, but that's enough of a description to be like, huh, that sounds like an interesting story. And just, Marvel, take a note from your own past. Flip back through these coming attractions in Marvel Age. See how you were describing things. Flipping through, we've got Wonder Man and the Abomination duking it out in West Coast Avengers. The way the abomination is drawn here, he kind of looks like the creature from the Black Lagoon more than what I'm used to seeing out of the abomination. Uh, Iron Man short circuits forced to keep him alive. Uh, we have a Newswatch, um, the new universe. They're still pu- pulling that. And then we have a, a new direction for Iron Man, and they talk about... Uh, different armor uh different armors that he's had and they actually have this really cool two-page spread of sketches for different armors by Bob Layton and uh, I guess these were proposed armors in some way or another I don't think they're they're official but some of them were really interesting looking uh and the story that I believe and and Luke if you're listening I you can probably this is the summer of 87 I want to say the Armor Wars are what's starting up here, and that's what they're previewing, because they're talking about um, how somebody is going after uh, his armor, or there's um, unauthorized use of his technology, etc., etc. So I think that's what, we, that, that's what we're looking at here. Um, so please feel free to correct me. I, I have read very little to no Iron Man, especially of this era. I have gotten the Marvel Unlimited app recently, and I do plan on going back and reading a lot of these classic stories. I just have to find the time. The Marvel trivia quiz this time around is about Iron Man. Um, there is Stan's Soapbox, which is also about Iron Man. Hey, we're coming. We're going to be putting out a bunch of movies, uh, many of which either didn't uh, come out or came out many, many, many years later. There is a Willie Lumpkin comic by Stan Lee and Dan DiCarlo. Uh, Fred Hembeck has his two-page spread of Tony Stark uh, double dating or double timing his girlfriend, but he's dating uh, one as Iron Man and the other one as Tony Stark. There is a story about Warriors 3, which is um, Asgardian, 
Volstag. Oh, this is a this is a uh, a spinoff of Thor. It's going to be a Marvel fanfare, and Alan Zelenetz is the writer. Charles Vess is the artist, and I've got to say, I I may look for this if I can find it. Um, not because the story is particularly anything that like really is hooking me in, but. Charles Vess's art is absolutely gorgeous, and the and the pictures that they have in here, and I'll put them in the show notes, are uh, are gorgeous as well. Uh, I have um, I bought it last year when I was at the Baltimore Comic Con because he was selling them, and I just I had I had gone up to his table to talk about how I really loved the issue of Sandman he drew called The Midsummer Night's Dream and how I taught that in my class and, and how we, we used it in, in, in English class with Shakespeare. And he was selling his adult comic book. So I, not adult comic book, adult coloring book. And it's all fantasy stuff and stuff like that. I've maybe colored a little bit and I'm so bad at coloring. Like I'm like crayon level of coloring. So it doesn't look like the one page I colored looks like, you know, uh, a kid who managed to stay in the, between the lines colors things, but the artwork in itself is absolutely gorgeous. So, Epic Spotlight is on Mobius, and there's a new talent department for a gentleman, uh, new talent spotlight who of Frank Power, P A U R, or Par. And they showed some of his stuff, but he is working on animated stuff, so he decided not to uh, actually stay in it. But he has a Black Widow uh, sequence, and it's really good. It's it's really action packed. Uh, some great great stuff, and um, and and I'll I'll uh, I'll include that. Our Marvel Age history lesson this time around is on. 1975 once more part two and the big feature is giant size x-men and the all new all different x-men and then there are some letters i crack up that people write into marvel age but there seems to be some about general comic collecting some about marvel in general I do like the fact that the letter column is called Jeff Neely's Letter Column Title. Uh, and the last, the inside back cover, the Hulk a mutant? No, I'm Rocky the Flying Squirrel. Now X-Factor is really confused. Find out why in The Incredible Hulk 336 and 337. And I should note that this picture of Grey Hulk picking up a big rock about to hurl it at Iceman, Marvel Girl, and... Cyclops and Cyclops is blasting him. That is drawn by Todd McFarlane. And on the back cover of Marvel Age, you have the calendar, the monthly calendar. And um, in July on the 8th, which is my wife's birthday, is also Craig Anderson's birthday. He's the lone in plaid. He's the one in plaid because there's Thor in the little panel next to him. Uh, Mike Esposito is on the 14th. Um, Ian Aiken, Ian Aiken, who is, uh, an artist, I want to say on Transformers and stuff, is on the 28th, and he says, Oh, my Aiken Garvey, which is kind of funny in a sense. Uh, 
On the 25th, you get, you'd think a comic book called The Eternals might last a little longer than it has. And then at the very end, you have Galactus peeking in saying, anyone see a McPlanets in the neighborhood? And that'll do it. Uh, it's it's hard to cover Marvel Age, honestly. It, it's a magazine. It's it's not like a comic book, although it's in a comic book format. But I'll try to scan some stuff like I did with the last one. There, I only have, like, I think it's four or so issues of Marvel Age to cover uh, for this podcast. So I'll try to scan some stuff. You can go over on uh, popcultureaffidavit.com and check out the show notes, and I'll have some of those articles there for you. But come back on July 14th for my next episode. It will be... Part 3 of Craven's Last Hunt in Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, number 131, and a trip to the UK for The Transformers, number 33. Until then, please go to Facebook and the Facebook group and leave a comment. You can leave a review on iTunes, or you can email me with any feedback at popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening, and take care.